Okay, let's move on to our, our topic today. We are going to be talking about Sabbath. Uh, we introduced the idea last week, and when we talk about Sabbath, we talk about the Jewish, traditionally the Jewish day of rest, but it was also something that the Christians in the early church observed, the Sabbath, the Lord's day, the day of rest. So when I was in Jerusalem, one of the most memorable experiences for me happened Friday night at the Wailing Wall. Now, the Wailing Wall is the last wall standing of the ancient Jewish temple. It would have been the temple that Jesus went to to worship and that many of the, you know, the, the Jews around the time of Jesus went to to worship. It was destroyed in 70 AD. And the only thing that's left is this Wailing Wall where Jews to this day will go and worship and contemplate their history and, and, um, and their culture. And so... There are these, these people called Hasidic Jews. They wear all black. I'm sure you've seen pictures of them. Black, where they have the curls going down their, their, the sides of, of their sideburns are long curls, and they often have um, boxes bound to their hands. And um, I'm trying to think of the name of those boxes. What are they called? Phylactery. Yeah, that's it. Um, and their little boxes of Scripture. Basically, they are old school. They follow the Old Testament to a T, and they'll go to the wall, and Friday night is the night where I did that because this is what they do at the wall. They, they kind of, it, it resembles a flickering flame when they pray for their nation uh, and their people group and God's will and God's kingdom to come. Um, and so Friday night, remember the Jewish day begins at nightfall, so Friday at nightfall, the Sabbath begins, the Jewish day of rest. And it's a huge celebration, so I'm there, and I'm, I'm standing at the wailing wall. I got my little yarmulke on. I blended right in. Um, <clears throat> you have to wear a yarmulke to be at the wailing wall. And, and so I'm there, and there are all these Hasidic Jews around, and they're singing, and they're chanting. And right about an hour before sundown, you hear this chanting and singing. And all of a sudden, it's kind of one of those exhilarating and, and almost frightening moments for an outsider. The Israeli army, which consists of a bunch of 16 and 17-year-old kids with huge guns, they come, they just start pouring into the plaza at the Wailing Wall, singing and celebrating their heritage because they're ushering in the Sabbath, the foundation, you know, the central aspect of what it means culturally to be Jewish. Now, something else happened, though, is these Hasidic Jews are very dogmatic about the way they observe the Sabbath. And so that means there is no work of any kind at sundown, and you can only walk a certain distance. So they got to get home. Like, they want to go worship at the wall, but they got to get home by sundown because, um, because they're not allowed to travel any distance during Sabbath. So they scurry. They don't run in public, but you would see these grown men in all black walking like this. I mean, they are flying. And some of them, no joke, have like three-year-olds in tow. So this three-year-old's like, you know, I mean, they're dragging these, these little children to try to get them home. I mean, it was chaotic. But it just shows that, I mean, this is such a huge part of their culture. And it's something that was very, very foreign to me. Well, one of the things that God has really been working on in my life and my heart 
over the past month or two, especially as I've prepared in the Matthew series for today's message about Jesus and his treatment of the Sabbath, going to Jerusalem and seeing this is a culture that for thousands of years has revolved around Sabbath. Looking at Jesus' teachings on the Sabbath, looking at all the Bible says and how the early Christians viewed the Sabbath, and yet in my life, honestly, just to be very authentic, as opposed to most of the time when I'm not, um, I'm kidding, I don't know why people say that. Now, honestly, I'm going to be really honest, as, you know, I like to think that it's always that way. Anyway, I have done very little in my life to honor the Sabbath the way the Bible says we should honor the Sabbath. And I know very few followers of Jesus who truly honor the Sabbath the way the Bible teaches. So what I want to do today is kind of take a step back and just assume that we all know very little about the Sabbath so that if you don't know anything about the Sabbath, we can get you up to speed. So we're going to start from square one, paint a picture of Sabbath, and then talk through what Jesus teaches and hopefully get to a so what, why in the world it's relevant to you. So let me start back in Exodus chapter 20. We're talking Old Testament. We're talking 1,500 years before the coming of Jesus. You're familiar with the Ten Commandments, or maybe you've heard of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Foundational Commands of Scripture for the Old Testament life, for the Jewish people, okay? The Fourth Commandment. So this is, you know, these are the ten big deals in the Old Testament. Remember the Sabbath day. Now, the word Sabbath means to sit or to rest. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath day to the Lord, to Yahweh, your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. So remember, this is God giving rules to the newly freed Israelite people. They were in slavery. God freed them. God laid down 10 foundational rules for them to build their society around. And one of which, and incidentally, this is the one that he uses the most words to describe. So for the most part, they're big. Like, don't worship other gods. Don't kill anybody. Don't lie. Don't be jealous. Don't commit adultery. I mean, big deal commands. But the one that he spends the most time backing is this idea of Sabbath. You who were in slavery just a little bit ago and never had a day of rest, I command that out of every seven days you take one day and you and your whole household do no work. Now that's a great thing that God did, right? I mean, that tells us a lot about the character of God, that he says, you know what? I love you and I want you to rest one day a week, no work. And that's a nice thing. And unfortunately, there were people in Israel that treated it like a nice thing. But I'm going to show you now in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 15. <clears throat> this is a big deal. While the Israelites were in the wilderness, and I can't get, I, I need to blow through this so I know you're going to be struggling to catch up. Go ahead, please follow along if you can get there fast enough. But I, I got a lot to move through. While the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. So what day is it? 
Sabbath. What were you not allowed to do on the Sabbath? Work. What was this guy doing? He was gathering wood. He was working. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly. Moses and Aaron were like the lead judges of the time. And they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. So they didn't know what to do. And you think about the situation. It doesn't seem like it's a huge deal. Uh, the guy's out gathering wood. He ran out of firewood. He's got to cook dinner, whatever. He goes into the backyard and he gets some wood and he, he gathers it together. And some people see him and they say, hey, wait a minute. You're gathering wood. You're not allowed to gather wood. We got to go talk to Moses to see what we're supposed to do about this. So, so they, they rat him out and, you know, they're, they're taking him to Moses. And, and, and the guy's probably thinking, oh, dang it. You know, I'm just gathering some wood and I'm going to get a fine or I'm going to do some, you know, house arrest or whatever it is that they did back then. But it's still, right, I'm just gathering wood on the Sabbath. How big of a deal could it possibly be? And Moses and Aaron are trying to figure out what to do and then God speaks. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, isn't that harsh? I mean, all the guy was doing was gathering wood. And now, now think about that because these people are just like you and me. Okay, they're a part of a community of faith. They love their family. They love each other. These were his friends. These were his family. Nobody wants to pick up a stone and kill somebody. And all the guy did was gather some wood. But now the Israelites are commanded by God to take him out of the city and kill him, execute him. Now, here's the deal. This is, I've got to be careful how I say this because it's not out of character for God, but it kind of is, if that makes any sense. It's like not God's typical way to respond to rebellion. In Scripture... There are certain people, and you don't want to be one of these people, who God uses as an example. He makes an example out of certain people. God loves him. God wants the best for him. He's God's child. God is for him. But the principle that he broke was so important to God that he stops everything and he makes an example And I bet from that time on, every Israelite knew this Sabbath thing, which seems like it should be a great option, take a day off. Like you don't have to use all your vacation days, right? But God means it. You use your vacation days. And life was never the same in Israel because of that. And since then, life has been revolving around the Sabbath. Now, by the time Jesus is on the scene, 1,500 years later, They observed Sabbath every week. But they had swung the pendulum too far. They had begun to put God's gift, God's day of rest, above the people. And we're going to see that here. So in Matthew 12, chapter 1, or Matthew chapter 12, verse 1, it says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, first of all, 
the religious leaders shouldn't have been out walking around with Jesus on the Sabbath. They should have been in the synagogues, but they were because they're looking for ways to trap Jesus. And his disciples are picking heads of grain and they call him out of line. Here's why. The Old Testament says you're not allowed to harvest on the Sabbath. It's very clear. Don't go out and plow the land on the Sabbath, ever. Don't do it. So what they had done was they had created these rules on top of rules. Now, the only thing specifically that the Bible says you can't do on the Sabbath is work. God doesn't go into great deal aside from saying you're not allowed to plow. He doesn't spend a lot of time saying here's what work is. But the idea in the Old Testament language is that of gaining ground. It's like we all know that there are things that we do to exert energy that are for our enjoyment, and then there are ways that we exert energy that are really about getting things done. Like we have the list. You got a list on your fridge? Whether it's from you or your spouse, you got a list on your fridge. And we exert energy to get that list done, and that is work. Or we do things to maintain our lifestyle, work at our jobs or at our homes. That is work. That's the stuff that we're not allowed to do. But what, they, what the Pharisees had done is created this system. So they would say, you cannot take a bath on the Sabbath <coughs> because you might spill some water, bend down and wipe it up, and clean the floor in the process. And that would be work. And so you're not allowed to take it. But this was, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but you're, we're going to see just how ridiculous it had gotten. Like they got God's day of rest and they turned it into a day of slavery. So you're hungry. You can't pick fruit and eat it. That's work. That's harvesting. And that's never what it was supposed to be. Okay, so Jesus answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He's referring to the Old Testament. They entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath, uh, they do their duty in the temple, uh, and they desecrate the Sabbath? In other words, they walk all over the Sabbath because they're working. But it's, they're innocent because that's their thing that they're supposed to be doing on the Sabbath. Jesus' point here is that it's not about the rule. It's about the idea of honoring God and people come before rules. So these rules like the Sabbath were never meant to oppress. There's a place in Mark, and I believe it's chapter 2, where this same story is told through Mark's vantage point, and he includes an additional teaching of Jesus at this moment. Jesus says, you know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you and me. We weren't made to work for it. And they had gotten this all out of whack. He says, I tell you the truth that some, something greater than the temple is here. He's referring to himself. He says, if you'd known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire for you to love people above rituals. Then you would have not condemned the innocent for the Son of Man, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. <coughs> Jesus says, I am Lord of this day, of this moment, of the Sabbath. Going on from this place, and this story is messed up right here. This tells you how out of whack they had gotten. 
Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man was there with a shriveled hand. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? What a stupid question. Is it lawful to help somebody on the Lord's day? He said to them, if any of you has an animal and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Now, Jesus is actually like teaching them this. And these were the religious leaders of the day. Therefore, it is lawful to do something good on the Lord's day. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched, out, he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Isn't that ridiculous? Jesus heals somebody on their day, on the Lord's day, and they want to kill him for it. So let's talk about the so what of all this. How in the world is this ancient tradition relevant to your life today? Well, the first thing I really want you to see, I really, really, really want you to see this, and I'm constantly bringing this up, but we constantly have new people at Polaris, so I want everybody to understand this one point. Jesus always puts the person above the rule. He loves people above rituals. Now, unfortunately, and this is why this is so important, People who follow Jesus have been labeled by many as judgmental, as unkind, and unloving. And that's rightly so, because we often are. But what I really want every single one of you to see here is that that's not the case with Jesus. Jesus condemns putting rules above people. Like like when you use the rule to beat the person when you use the rule as a weapon to beat the person who's in violation of the rule, you're not following the teachings of Jesus. And if you are a person who believes that Jesus was like that, that Jesus was condemning or that he came to bring this movement of hatred or condemnation, I want you to see the real Jesus in Scripture. Because there are a lot of people who won't touch the Bible because they believe that it's full of actions um, and teachings that prescribe how they perceive Christians act. But I want you to know that Jesus was not like that. Jesus loved people above rules. Okay, second thing. Jesus very clearly says the Sabbath was made for man. We want to be followers of Jesus, right? We want to do the things that he says, live according to his way. And he says that the Sabbath was made for us. Here's why this is important. The things that God made for us generally benefit us and are right for us. Think about it. Most human beings have an ear on each side of their head. Comes in very, very handy to have two ears, not just one, right? Our nose is in front of us. We have one mouth in the center. We have two eyes, which come in very handy. We have two hands and two legs, and a third would probably get in the way. Think about your elbow. What if your elbow was right here? It'd be tough to eat, right? 
be tough to do a lot of the things that we do. If our knees were in other places, it would be really awkward to run. The things that God made for us work well. And when we don't have those abilities that God made for us, we're called disabled. Meaning that there's something with us that doesn't function quite the way it should and we probably are hindered in some way when the things that God made for us aren't working correctly. So when Jesus said, I have made this for you, I think we need to take that very seriously, that maybe God means that. And maybe when we say, I can't devote a day to do no work, I have too much to do, maybe the things that we're pursuing aren't getting us where we should go. Maybe the fact that we're ignoring the thing God made for us is actually taking us a step back from achieving the things that we feel like we're achieving by doing the work. The third thing is that Jesus says he's Lord of the Sabbath. How can we be followers of Jesus when we ignore the thing that he says he's Lord of? So if I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus says, I am the Lord of this, how can I ignore it? How can I blow it off? Jesus says, I'm Lord of this and I've made this for you, but I choose to completely ignore it. Doesn't seem to jive, does it? I want to challenge you guys because I think the Sabbath has essentially become irrelevant to followers of Jesus. I know very, very few followers of Jesus who say, yes, I intentionally will do no active accomplishing work because I want to honor God with the Sabbath. I know very few people who intentionally set that time aside. And so I want to challenge you to get that right because I'm challenging myself. It's time to quit ignoring it. It's time to get it right because it's very clear in Scripture that this is something that God has implemented and God's heart is affected when we honor it. Okay. Let's start from scratch here and say, yes, I will take you up on that challenge, Alex. What does it mean to Sabbath? When we talk about Sabbath, we talk about a 24-hour time period. The first piece of Sabbath comes from Genesis chapter 2. It's a day to enjoy creation. God actually created the Sabbath day. It's a part of the creation package. So days one through six, God is creating the physical stuff in our world. On day seven, God creates something else. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested. Then God blessed the seventh day. And he made it set apart, holy. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. We need to understand, first of all, God created the Sabbath. It's the only command that's also an act of creation. The other things God created, we have to take very seriously. If you don't take water seriously, you will drown. Because it's real whether you acknowledge it or not. If you don't take gravity seriously, you're in trouble because God created it and it's always real whether you acknowledge it or not. This past week, um, in my backyard, there's a 20-foot maple tree and um, 
our kitchen is elevated on the second floor of our house. And so I'm, I'm standing in the kitchen. I'm at the little island of our kitchen working on a panini on the griddle making dinner. And out of my peripheral vision, I see this figure shimmying its way halfway up our 20-foot tree in the backyard. And I turn and look, and it's my four-year-old. Now, gravity is a very real force, whether I like it or not, so I got out there pretty quick to help my four-year-old. I have no idea how he got up into that tree, but that's Elijah. So it's a day to acknowledge what God has created, but it's also a day to rest and enjoy it, because on the Sabbath day, God rested to enjoy the things that he had made. So that's first and foremost. It's a day to enjoy God's activity. Second thing, and I'm going to have you read Exodus chapter 16 on your own time. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Exodus chapter 16 is the story of manna. Manna means what is it? God created bread to feed the Israelites, and they came outside and they said, Manna, what is it? And then they just started calling this bread manna. But every week on the Sabbath, they would have a trust exercise. They would have to trust that they gathered enough to get them through that day because God would not provide manna for them on the Sabbath. What we have with Sabbath, because we are who we are, it shouldn't be this big of a deal, but it really is. We think that everything we do is very, 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 very important and that if we stop doing it, the world's going to fall apart. And so when we Sabbath, and say, I will do no work today, we're kind of trusting that maybe God can bring the sun up and the sun can set on its own without our active involvement, which sounds ridiculous, but honestly, I think what you will find is there is an element of trust in the Sabbath. And so we're flexing that trust muscle, which is a very important muscle in our spiritual Repertoire. Trusting God is very, very important. And to do so weekly by Sabbathing is essential. The other thing that God does is he reminds us of who does the work. Now, constantly in Scripture, God is saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. What he's doing is he's reminding the Israelites, you guys were slaves. You guys didn't have any rights. You guys didn't have any power. You were nobodies. I stepped in. I brought you out. Who put this thing together? Me. That's who. God is reminding them, I do the work. And when we Sabbath, we remember that God does the work without us. Everything that we accomplish is ultimately because God gave us the ability to do it. So these things that we do that we think we're so great at, it's all God, right? Rob Bell, teacher out of Michigan, I love the way he paints the picture. He says, you know, those of you who obsess over folding laundry and getting it perfect and tight, I'm sure God says, whoa, look at that tight laundry. Or those of you, how many of you have a spouse who agonizes over landscaping? And every detail, the edging, 
I'm sure God just sits back and says, wow, I've never seen anything like that before. That is incredible. Those edges, woo. We have a, well, I already said, we have a four-year-old son, and he gets jealous every now and then of our seven-year-old and the things he can do. So my seven-year-old son and I will play catch with, you know, my seven-year-old strong enough to operate the, the baseball mitt, okay? My four-year-old doesn't have big enough hands yet to do that. So my wife, um, he brought the glove over to my wife the other day, and she put his glove on his hand and opened his glove wide open because he wanted to play catch and taught him to play catch, what he really has to do is pry his glove open, and then Kelly or I will take the ball, and if we get the aim just right, put it in his glove. And he is laughing out loud, proud of himself, thrilled, because he's catching the ball. Now, I love playing catch with him, and I love that he thinks he can catch the ball, but it's really me or Kelly throwing it into his hand, right? And I'm betting that that's how God views the things that we spend all our time on. Wow, look how proud he is of that thing that I do for him. You know? Kathy Beebe at Rise and Shine got this ant farm. And Friday, I'm down on my knees sitting there looking at this thing over the, over the ledge, and I'm watching these ants. And they are going to town in this ant farm moving the sand. And part of me felt like God is saying, hey, look at you. That's you right there. Think about the view that God has, and we are busy, 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 busy doing these things that just got to get done. Most of which are the equivalent of moving sand in an ant farm, right? And we spend so much of our lives doing that. And that brings me to the last thing that that, the Sabbath does is it's a return to priorities. There's a story in the gospel of two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus comes to, to the house, and so they hospitality a huge part of biblical culture and they want to get things just right but mary is sitting there with jesus and martha is this whirlwind of martha stewart activity getting the house primed because the son of god is there and she gets mad at mary who's lazy just sitting listening to jesus she says will you tell my sister to get off her butt and get some stuff done here and jesus says martha martha You've chosen to busy your life with many things, but Mary's doing what's most important now. Here's what I know. Biblically speaking, there are two priorities above all else, and that is if you're married, your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse. But we busy our lives with all sorts of things, and before you know it, the weeks have passed, and we have not elevated God or our spouse to the priority that they deserve. We can articulate that's number one and number two, but the stuff in our life will quickly put them down four, five, six, seven, eight slot, right? Right. When we Sabbath, we sit at the feet of Jesus. Everything else is a distant second. We can do other things, but we're making first priorities, first priorities. And when we have built into our week a 24-hour period where the stuff is just the stuff and sitting at the feet of Jesus is number one, it realigns around our priorities. Okay, now, I know you guys are all ready to get this going in your life like I'm trying to. You can't wait to try Sabbath next week. 
And so I want to give you just a few quick things of what I'm learning as I try to do this because it's not easy. So here's the quick list lightning round, okay? First of all, I believe that it can be any 24-hour period. I think that Jesus' point in his teachings is it's not about the rule itself. It's about the spirit of the thing, right? It's a day of rest. It's a holy day set apart for God. Now, maybe I'm wrong about that, and God's going to convict me, and it has to be the seventh day. You know, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, although in the New Testament it's pretty clear that they celebrated, the Christians celebrated it on the um, first day day of the week, which would be Sunday. Regardless, I'm telling you to start with any 24-hour period, breakfast to breakfast, lunch to lunch, dinner to dinner, or maybe it's a full waking day, whatever it is that works for you. Number two, you're looking for things that refresh your soul. If taking a long walk and looking at creation does that, then walk. If playing catch with your kids or, or reading long you know, scriptures or taking a nap or whatever it is that refreshes your soul, do that. But God and the life that he's given you is the priority. I think making your bed for your wife may be work that's okay on the Sabbath because it's a priority and it's something you're doing to enjoy the life that God has given you. How many of you, any of you raised in the South? And I'm not talking like, you know, Akron. I'm talking like (laughs) Florida. Any of you raised where it was warm? Then all of us are children of the snow. And you guys remember when you had that thing you had to do at school, that homework that you weren't prepared for, that test you were going to have to take, and you wake up and there's this blanket of snow, and you get by the radio and it's like 5.50 a.m., and you hear Maslin Public Schools are closed. It's like, shut down, <laughs> Sabbath. <laughs> it's a snow day. Everything's shut down. All your plans for the day are canceled. You have the day to do whatever you want. You have a Sabbath. And God, in his love for us, said, One day a week is a snow day. You do things that refresh your soul. You focus on what's most important. And you use up all of your vacation days. That's a gift that God has given to us, but it's also a great way to look at Sabbath because everything shuts down for what's most important. Point number four is this. You're going to have to work harder on the six days in order to free up your seventh day. God says six days a week you will do work, but you will do no work on the seventh. And I think that was his way of saying, bust your butt for those six days. Do that laundry at sundown so that when you wake up, it's Sabbath. And that's what it takes. It's kind of hard to go a whole day without any productive kind of work. It takes extra work on those other days. And then finally, remember that others won't get it but that's okay. You're going to have family members, you're going to have coworkers that don't understand the importance, but if you're following Jesus right there, are going to be a lot of things in your life that other people just don't get. One last point, and that is this. Everything, all this Sabbath stuff was ultimately meant to point to Jesus. 
Because God knew that we were going to create a debt for ourselves with our sin that we could not work our way out of. There is nothing you or I could ever do to make ourselves right with God. Only God coming to earth as Jesus dying on the cross, doing all the work for us, paying the price for our sins. That's the only thing that could bring us back to God. God doesn't want us ever seeing work as the solution because ultimately he has done all the work for us. So when we Sabbath, we need to remember that the main point of everything that God has created is that God loves you and God created a life for you where he has done all the work to make you right with him. So don't ever think you have to work to make yourself right with God. He loves you as you are and he's done all the work on the cross to build that relationship for you. You are now free to rest in the salvation that God has brought you.